I really enjoy having access to new produce and producers and the connection to winemakers and that whole community. Like it's like, it's just a, an onion that you keep peeling out things. You can learn as much as you want and you feel like you can never stop learning. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There are many restaurants that become the hub of the community places to eat that allow people to connect socially, but there are some that actively engage the community to not only create a venue that speaks of its suburb, but initiate real change in the greater area too. Claire Van Vuren is the chef and owner of Bloodwood in Newtown. Claire, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Anthony? I'm great. It's good to catch up with you. Um, as you know, I used to be a local uh, to, to Bloodwood. Um, it's an amazing restaurant that's been around for a while. How long has it been there now? Uh, we just celebrated our 13th birthday, which is nuts. This We did that in the end of January, so I can't believe that we've turned into a teenager. And when we opened, I would never have thought that 13 years later we'd still be going strong. Well, there's a few restaurants, you know, in in the uh, in Sydney that really speak of their community and and are a real genuine local. But Bloodwood is um, sort of the epitome of that for Newtown. Did you ever intend that to happen? No, I think we kind of fell into it naturally. But for me, to get longevity and have a connection and importance in your community, it's really important to be relevant and listen to what your customers are doing and become part of the community. So we've put a lot of effort in over the years to make sure that we know what's happening in the area around us and support all the local schools and support the neighbourhood centre and just try and give back to the community because that's our customer base and that's our bread and butter. Like we don't try and seek out other people it's just what gets you through all the years and all the ups and downs is just that regular customer base of people that are around you and we try and listen to what they want listen to what they're talking about and yeah we get to know all of them very well the evolution of Newtown's sort of culinary offer, offering is, is quite extraordinary but t- tell us about what you've seen since you've been there and how much it's changed Yeah, it's phenomenal. So when we started looking for sites in Newtown, it would have been 2009. And at that time, Newtown was very, very different to what it is today. So everyone was working in the eastern suburbs, including me and my ex-business partners who I started Bloodwood with, with. We were all working in the east and living in the inner west and we'd travel across and then sort of think, why are there no sort of, you know, better quality restaurants in the inner west because at that time it was just very focused around being a university town that was very bohemian and had lots of Thai restaurants, Indian restaurants and just cheap eats. There wasn't much else on offer and everyone thought us wanting to open a restaurant on King Street was completely insane but we went ahead and it, it showed that, you know, we weren't the only ones in the area that wanted better food and more more variety available to us, not just the cheap Thai. Like the Thai is great and the Indian's fantastic, but we just wanted a different variety. And we used to, in the beginning, I used to count the different venues that would open. And I, I think I stopped counting a few years after I got up to like 30. And I, now I haven't counted for about <laughs> the last six or seven years and I wouldn't have no idea. But I think just added restaurants alone would be over 10 in the area. So it's a phenomenal change. And the area is now just an incredible place to eat and be part of and drink the bars. The, the range is, is quite staggering as well. Did, did you have any challenges getting sort of up and running with this idea of bringing something sort of a raised level of dining to the, to the area originally? 
Yeah, well, a particular thing that always sticks in my mind is that um, one of the meat suppliers, like a big name one who I won't mention, wouldn't service the inner west at that point because they're like, no, it's not on the run. So we were, <laughs> we were just like, this is crazy that one of the main meat suppliers wouldn't include the inner west on their runs in 2009. So, yeah, and I'm sure now that's definitely not the case where you see literally everyone coming through um, this area and it's such an important place to be part of. But, yeah, it's a, the change has been phenomenal and you've noticed in the amount of customers that come to travel to Newtown just to go out. So, And that changed a lot during the lockout periods initially for bars, but then I think people were worried that it would change to a negative area, but it shows you the resilience of this town and how much people care about it because we just kept it still focused on a community feel and kept all those good restaurants and good quality vendors coming in. So it gives it a really nice vibe. How important has that connection to the community been for you in the last couple of years? And has your restaurant changed, you know, with that connection and coming out of COVID? Well, I think the connection to community started way before COVID. So lots of the community, like we're very close, like everyone shares everything. We've got the same customer base. So, you know, there's no, it doesn't feel like a competition in this area. It just feels like... You know, you come to Bloodwood, you go to Earl's after and you'll probably go to like one of the other bars like Bar Planet or you'll go get some wine from P&V. So it's kind of we want to see everyone doing really well in the community. So many years ago, I can't even remember, it would be five or six years ago, we started the Newtown Locals Group, which was a bunch of sort of main restaurants in the area that just wanted to get together to do something for the Newtown festival and the Newtown Community Centre, um, the New- Newtown Neighbourhood Centre. So it was a way for us to connect as business owners um, and just sort of listen and become really close friends, not just colleagues. And just recently in the last couple of months, we've fired that up again. So through Rising Sun and Young Henry's, we've just reformed the group. So it's kind of nice. Well, what sort of impact does, does that sort of group have for you and what do you get out of it? Well, for, above everything else, it's just being able to like – call Oscar or Helena from Rising Sun and just chat about your own businesses because I think you learn through shared experiences. Like it's such a personal and deeply stressful um, industry that if you can just chat out something or you can talk about staff issues or you can reference check or you can talk about suppliers, like it's unlimited the connection and the benefits of being close to other businesses. So for to be able to have like instantly five or six businesses that you know that you can call any time of the day if you need to borrow something or if you've stuck in a situation or you're lodging a DA, do you have any advice? Like there's just strength in numbers, I guess. So it's really important and the community around here, everyone's very invested in making sure that everyone does really well and puts their best foot forward because we try and keep the offering of the area a, a good quality and make sure that people continue to return to Newtown. I want to talk about sort of what you created there with Bloodwood and, and all the initiatives that you seem to be involved with these days. You seem to sort of be everywhere of late doing all sorts of interesting things. But what sort of role did food play for you when you grew up? No, well, food's number one for me and my family. Like I'm a a migrant kid, so I was born in South Africa and I've got Italian Lebanese background and came to Australia. <laughs> Quite a mix, and I think it's really reflects my um, food culture as well because yeah, I'm very multicultural in things that I like, and my cooking style is just influenced by travel and 
other places that I've eaten and drank. So it's kind of nice to not have this strong heritage to connect to, um, but many versions of it. So I can pick the Lebanese side when I'm doing something or the Italian side. Obviously, those two are quite dominant in my um, repertoire as a chef because I love Mediterranean cooking and Middle Eastern flavors, like they're delicious. But yeah, coming food's always been number one in a f- family background like that. There's not much else that you do. You eat when you're sad. You eat when you're happy. You eat when you're celebrating. It's just always food. So that's kind of just part of it. And growing up as a kid, um, I only wanted to do two things. I wanted to be an artist, either a painter or I wanted to be a chef. So I tried my first attempt was to be an artist. So I went to Sydney College of the Arts and did the whole degree and then got a studio and tried all of that but found that there was no – money in it <laughs> which was a surprise that it took me a while to figure that out so I'd always be working in hospitality and then gradually I think I just fell in love with the industry that was paying me and I started out in front of house and working behind bars but I was always just drawn to the chefs I thought that was like such a cool thing to be a chef like they just looked really cool in their whites and standing, sitting on milk crates in the back alley and just looked like a cool gang that I was really eager to get into. <laughs> and I think it was a good way to express um, creativity. I realised that it's very similar, you know, painting a picture and being creative is very similar to creating a recipe and like you think of a concept and you think of flavours and you blend and you tweak and you... Yeah, so for me it sort of it fulfilled that gap that I wanted to get out of art. So then I just left that behind. <laughs> now I just um, buy art and go to art shows and have lots of artist friends and, yeah, eat with them. That sounds like a lot of fun. Tell us a little bit about sort of when you first got your foot in the door, what were the sort of venues and people that you worked with that really sort of started to create a path for you as a chef? Yeah, so I only became a chef um, after I'd done a degree at uni and after a few years of trying. So I would have been 24, 25 um, when I first became a chef. So I think I the way that I approached it was slightly different to how most people would do it because I was strategic in it. So I, I wanted to, you know, I started the apprenticeship and I wanted to get it done as quickly as I could and I wanted to make sure that I worked in venues that would – get me as far as high up in my career as quickly as possible. So, I, you know, I researched people that I admired and wanted to be strategic about who I worked for and what venues and just make sure that I could learn as quickly as possible. So, for me, I felt like that I would benefit from being in small kitchens because I'm really a visual learner. So, I could do my prep and then also watch what someone else is doing and sort of learn two things at once. And I wanted to be in a kitchens that they were really generous with what they showed you and what you learnt and that for me the biggest um, kitchen where I learnt the most and including got my two previous business partners was Claude's. It ticked all of those boxes and more and we cooked amazing food and had access to produce that you would just never have in other venues. Take us into the kitchen at Claude's. Do you have any stories of what it was like for you in that kitchen working with Chewy Lee Look? Yeah, it was such an, uh, like I always look of it I think of it so fondly that period of my career like just being so nervous the first day going in for a trial because Chewy was like really serious and stern and then everyone's in their full whites and there was no talking and it was just like military precision and just there was almost there's so much history in that restaurant and hierarchy and you just felt like all of the cultural 
baggage that came with that 30-year-old restaurant was there every day and you had to you felt really proud to be part of it like it was just you were continuing a legacy that was really important and everything that Chewy did in how she ran the venue and all the staff were really very proud and you know no one took the piss of being there everyone was very serious and everything you cooked was very serious and it was a like you'd prep all day and just to open at 7 p.m. and you know it was only cooking for 20 30 people but it was just such a big process and I remember thinking well this is amazing that we can use all of this produce and just spend so much money and time and effort into creating these degustations for guests. Tell us about that period of time when you started to think of doing your own venue. I mean, Bloodwood was so far removed from what Claude's was offering. Um, tell us about that transition and, and your thoughts on what you wanted to do. Yeah, well, I think it's deliberately removed from what Claude's was. So everything that Claude's was, Bloodwood is the complete opposite. So I think after a few years of working in a, a kitchen that's very, very serious and very quiet and very, you know, laser focused and the music is background and quiet chefs and not seen or heard you're just in the kitchen we even would put like towels down on the marble bench so that the plates didn't make a offensive sound for guests and I just thought you know things were changing around that time and it's like chefs wanted to be more visible so opening a restaurant with two other chefs we wanted the kitchen to be in the middle we wanted to remove tablecloths we wanted to like pump up the music really loud just sort of get the personality of everyone that was cooking in the venue. So Bloodwood was essentially based around what the staff meal was at Claude's where you could cook whatever you wanted and still use really fun produce and just sort of be yourself. We took away chef's uniforms, took away aprons, like just so that chefs could have fun because it's, you know, we all loved cooking but we wanted to laugh and enjoy and be interact with guests as they walked past so that's why the kitchen's built right in the center of the restaurant and can sort of say hello to people as they come through customers can walk up to you just get a completely different sense of what's going on when you can see and you can be part of it what surprised you about sort of running and owning your own business when you first sort of got into it (laughs) it's really hard to run your own business it's much easier just to sit back and take a paycheck but I think for me naturally I might I really enjoy the business side of running the business and it's probably why I'm still here running this business because I enjoy the stats and the figures and it's like just a huge food cost I see the whole thing as costings and marketing and I enjoy um, you know onboarding staff and doing rosters like I really like the stats and figures of being a business owner and restaurateur as well, not just a chef. And I find it gives you a whole nother angle to running the restaurant. There's been all sorts of hurdles and challenges over the last 13 years. Tell us a little bit about Bloodwood and is it different to what you started with? And if so, what sort of changes have you made for success? Yeah, the restaurant's so different to what we started with. I always think back of to how naive we were in the beginning. So we were going to have, you know, the bar just when I looked at the first roster, there was only going to be like three people on and there'd be, we need one person on the floor and we would do such a small amount of customers every night. And then the restaurant opened and it just sort of became its own beast where we couldn't, you know, so many people were wanting to get into the restaurant that we just kept 
serving and getting more staff on and more staff on and it was just um, a phenomenal pace to the restaurant and it was just like its own, just started cranking in a fashion that we never expected it to be. We assumed that it would be a small, quiet sort of bistro-style restaurant where you'd come and really relax and have a slow meal but instead we've got this very fast-paced, loud restaurant that sort of just churns through people and you can sit in the front bar and have drinks and cocktails and parties. So it became its own thing and I think part of its success is that we just let what was happening lead us and I kept changing and we just kept modifying and adjusting to what was wanted by the um, locals. Tell us a little bit about Bloodwood and and the offering and experience, um, perhaps perhaps through the food as well. Is there a dish or two you can tell us about that sort of epitomizes the experience? Yeah, well, I've, I've part of becoming thirteen was that I wanted to get rid of signature dishes because I wanted to sort of shed some skin and old weight and. Yeah, so that was an important milestone for me is that I got rid of the polenta chips, which had been on the menu for ages, and the Bloodwood um, trifle, the dessert, which had been there. So I just sort of knocked those two off straight away and I wanted to just grow up a little bit because we're in kind of like a glory stage of the kitchen and restaurant where I feel like the food offerings 10 times better than what we were offering in the beginning and we've got such a great um, chef team and everyone's getting along so well that we – talk about food all day long and go out and eat together and, you know, the opportunity to change the menu is just constant because everyone has got ideas and stuff. So I've managed to create a team at the moment which is really great to be part of and lead because everyone's putting input into the menu and we're getting a lot of um, creativity from younger chefs which is really nice to see and I feel like it really comes across in the food that everyone's putting up and what we offer is just because there's a big amount of love and emotion and feeling in the dishes that are being plated. Claire you're also a founding board member of Women in Hospitality. Tell us a bit about how that came about and and some of the initiatives that you've been part of. Yeah, so I don't know whether it's like if I get bored easily or what it is, but I love to do (laughs) many, many things that are not just my cooking day-to-day life. I think it keeps me in the job because it keeps things interesting. But, yeah, Women in Hospitality, I've been part of that group for six years now and that came about as to finding a space for um, to support women through their careers within the industry and make sure that they got option um, an opportunity to develop and progress and meet other like-minded women who could help them and assess them. So through that program, I started the mentor program of Women in Hospitality where we pair um, people together so that you could get specific hands-on assistance with whatever you needed and sort of link you with people who would help you and just assist you in your career. And I've personally mentored four or five or possibly much more than that people through that program and also not through that program which it starts off formal but then they just become your good friends like everything in the hospitality industry you just become mates and you end up just furthering and enriching your social life with all these incredible people but yeah I really get a lot out of um, mentoring young people in the industry and also not not just young people but giving advice and tips and stuff I find that it's a really exciting way for me to gain job satisfaction is to just give the knowledge that I've learned and shared and um, pass it on. The, the impact that you're having with women in hospitality is is amazing but what impact is does that role have on you? 
Well, it, it makes me feel really enriched and I think it makes me fall in love with the industry every time I have a really good connection to someone that's coming through because they challenge you personally. Like when someone asks you a really difficult question, it makes you reflect on your career and why did you end up making the decisions that you made and why did you turn that corner instead of this corner? So it's like, you know, reliving your own career and thinking about it. It makes me feel really proud of what I've done and what I've achieved through helping someone else. And then you also get to see them progress and become really good at what they do and then essentially start helping other people. Like it's just a nice cycle and it, it shows you how rich and what an amazing job the hospitality industry is and how much it has to offer for people. You seem to be everywhere at the moment, either cooking at events or collaborating with other chefs or being part of the initiatives with the community. Tell us a little bit about that and um, what, what's happening with you. Is there anything that has stood out in the last year or so in that realm for you that you can tell us about? Uh, well, a big highlight for me was just a couple of weeks ago when I got an opportunity to um, be one of the guest chefs at the Oz Harvest Refertorio guest chef series that was like I felt really proud to be asked to be part of that group you know I was probably the least um you know impressive resume in that group but I really enjoyed it and I felt like I connected with the um the people that came in for the lunches and just really bonded with what Oz Harvest does and it makes you feel really good like it makes you feel like you've contributed some because sometimes cooking you know, you can see you're just making food and people buy it and it's just the end of it. And when you add a social aspect to it, it really makes you feel important because food is a way to make people feel so validated and it humbles people and it gives people, you know, a sense of pride. And it's really nice to, to be able to offer a meal to someone and they can come in that they wouldn't be able to afford usually. And just to see how their faces light up when they get to eat a meal and get treated with dignity and respect. So that was a real sort of, um, you know, tug on the heartstrings highlight moment this year, just getting an opportunity to cook for them and connect and talk to the clients and the volunteers and think what they do at the Refertory is incredible. 13 years at Bloodwood is, is quite extraordinary. What's been a real highlight for you over, over the years that really stands out? Oh, there's so many fun things that we've done here. We've had so many amazing um, sort of events and parties and stuff. But I, one that stands out is when thinking back, I don't know why we were so mental. We took all the furniture out of the restaurant and we covered the whole restaurant with hay bales and we had a hillbilly hoedown. <laughs> Still about 10 years later, we still pick out straw out of cracks and holes in floorboards. I think I had an asthma attack and ended up going to hospital that night anyway because I didn't realise that I'd be so allergic to hay. But, <laughs> but the things you do to raise money for community events, so that was that was probably one that stood out in as a highlight and I still remember, like, it's just wacky. Then we did a huge fundraiser for after the Nepalese earthquake because we had quite a lot of Nepalese um staff at that time and it was really lovely because we got recognized by Jenny Leong in parliament for that um, fundraising effort. It's just really nice to be um, just part of the community and it's all those moments that just make you laugh and enjoy your career and obviously after 13 years of staff teams we've had some incredible people work here and there's been some really hilarious moments and funny stories and 
yeah, met some lifelong friends that have come through here. As you mentioned, you like to keep busy and especially with all sorts of initiatives outside of Bloodwood. Um, but what, what's the next year or so look like for you? Is there anything else on the, on the agenda? I don't know. I have to think about that. I'm really enjoying cooking at the moment. I'm enjoying creating the menu and doing all that other stuff. So I don't know. I think I'm still I'm still slightly scared post-COVID to open up another venue or anything because I think it made me have a little bit of trauma where I hang on to savings or money in a way that I would have been a little bit more reckless prior to that. So I'm just kind of, I don't know, I want to just enjoy having this big passion and connection to food again and enjoy going out and enjoy having a team that's working really well. So I guess I'm taking an easier year and I'll do events and projects that pop up and we'll see what happens other than that. But but I am getting an itch to do more projects because, yeah, like I said, I think I, I need to keep very busy otherwise the weeks go too slowly for me. Well, you continue to make the most extraordinary impact on not only those that dine at your restaurant, but um, people in the community and further afield. What, what do you love about what you do? <laughs> I love everything about it. It's a, it's a flexible job. I think you create your own destiny kind of thing, like it's a choose your own adventure when you're a, a chef. You can, you know, put your head down and be invisible and do whatever. Otherwise, you can reach out to other chefs and you can do collaborations and you can do pop-ups and you can do events or you can, you know, fundraise for community or you can do market stalls. Like there's a never-ending um, action path that you can take. And I think being able to be flexible, if I suddenly, you know, need to have a quiet week, I just sort of put the brakes on. I, I like having a job where I can control my own timeline and time frame and all of that sort of stuff, I think. But I've worked very hard to get the restaurant in a position where, you can have that freedom and that ability to create your own um, month or week or how it looks, how it plays out. So I do enjoy the freedom. I really enjoy having access to new produce and producers and the connection to winemakers and that whole community. Like it's like it's just a, an onion that you keep peeling out things. You can learn as much as you want and you feel like you can never stop learning because there's just so much coming through and it constantly changes. I think after 13 years, I get to see that food trends change all the time, dining habits change, and it's really exciting. You don't just, I don't know, people often think like, don't you get bored just sitting in the one restaurant, but it's never the same. It's never the same week. Every night's different to the night before and you can make it as different as you want. Well, Claire, as always, it's an absolute pleasure catching up with you. Um, good luck with the year ahead and congratulations on what you've built so far. No, it's lovely to chat. Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Definitely. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>